2: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Hey there, everybody.
3: How we doing? Welcome to 2024 and Rico Brown. of course, subscribe to the podcast wherever you subscribe to podcasts. I guess you could do that with Apple. You could do that with. Uh... Where else do you have podcasts, Pete? Spotify? Do they do
4: podcasts? They do. Yeah, Spotify does podcasts. Also, the Odyssey app. You oh, could also, that's you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good one. That's one that I've heard works well. That's a good idea. <laughs> the
3: Odyssey app. You know, the company that pays us money. Yes, download the Rico Bronya wherever you can. Um, This has bothered me for days and days and days, and I touched on this on the last edition of the Rico, but the more I think about it, the more I get worked into a lather, the more I get hot and bothered about it, passionate about it. And we'll do a lot today. We'll respond to a lot of your emails regarding the one-hit wonders that the Mets had, as well as greatest season in Mets history. But a couple of Thoughts on this offseason as of right now. And this is the one that's really bothering me. And I know I shouldn't be bothered because nothing's happened yet. But for any Mets fan who gets upset by this offseason, I always ask them casually. I'll ask it to Pete. Okay, who should they have gone after that they didn't? And I remember when I asked you this off a few weeks ago, your answer was Sonny Gray. Okay. Put a name to it. I understand. Would Sonny Gray have made the Mets rotation better than it is right now? Absolutely. Would he have been worth what he was given by the St. Louis Cardinals? Maybe. It's not a terrible contract. But instead of getting mad at the air and mad at the world that the Mets didn't win the sweepstakes in a sweepstakes they never felt likely to win, who are you mad they didn't get? There's nobody out there that I feel that way about yet, but there's somebody that the more I think about it, the more I say, I want him. Now, I get it. Everyone comes at a price. And so if this guy ends up getting $200 million, do I still want him? I don't know. It's not my money. (laughs) So I guess a part of me says, bring him in anyway. And the guy I'm working myself into being angry about not getting, even though he hasn't gone anywhere yet, is indeed Jordan Montgomery. And I want to tell you why. The more I look at this rotation and what it is right now, and what it may be going into opening day, you have to have more than one guy under contract going into 2025. If we're thinking about, well, we want to be good in 2024, but it's really about 2025. Do you really want to go into next year's offseason? And granted, there are some really good starting pitchers available via free agency, led by Corbin Burns, including Zach Wheeler, including Shane Bieber. But do you really want to go in a free agency next year needing to acquire four starting pitchers? I mean, think about this offseason. The Mets have gone into this offseason with only two starting pitchers under contract for this upcoming season. Jose Quintana, Kodai Senga. If they don't sign a Jordan Montgomery type, if they go to the one-year variety, they're going to be in the same boat going into next year except add one guy to that list. Because instead of having two guys under contract, you're literally going to have one guy. So if you go the one-year route with Hinjin Ryu or with Corey Kluber or with, you know, Johnny Cueto or Eric Lauer, whoever you want to come up with as the one-year band-aid, while you may hit on some of these one-year deals, while you may hit on Adrian Hauser coming off the trade, or you may hit on Luis Severino, you're still going into next offseason with very few guys under contract. And that's why, while I like flexibility, and I'm certainly not for just handing out a contract for the sake of handing out a contract, wouldn't you want to acquire a guy and bring a guy in? Now you have to believe in that guy. I happen to believe in Jordan Montgomery. Maybe you don't. Maybe some people listening don't. But wouldn't you want to acquire a guy that can be here for this upcoming season and the years after so that when you enter the offseason of 2025, you're not looking to fill four spots in your rotation? And that's why, not that I'm mad that the Mets aren't linked to him because being linked to a guy doesn't mean a damn thing. Like maybe the Mets are being very stealth in their interest and negotiations. And and as of right now, it doesn't sound like Jordan Montgomery's close to signing anywhere. But of the available free agents who can help me in the short term and in the long term, I'm most drawn in by him. And that would be my target right now if I'm the New York Mets.
4: Yeah, the problem is, is that I I don't believe in him. And I, 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 I don't believe in any of these pitchers that have had – listen, I understand Montgomery's uh, trending in the better direction, but I still don't in the long run want to give him a six-year deal, and that's what you're going to have to do. I, I am not prepared for that because I think – and I don't think Stearns wants to as well. I think Stearns is waiting for other guys to become available or trade for somebody down the line, and I'm okay with that. You get Brandon Woodruff. He's there twenty twenty five. Bring in for this year a Ryu, and, a, and a, I love Ryu because when he actually plays, when he actually pitches, he's actually good. I don't
3: believe
0: when that he pitches,
3: pitches yeah. which is rare. And he's not going to be able to help them next year.
4: Well, listen, I like I like Woodruff. I like Ryu, and I do like Trevor Bauer, and that's a guy I know that it's people do not. Like him for all the off field stuff. And this, you know, whatever. He's not a great clubhouse guy. But the reality is, if there's one person who you know can actually pitch in the big leagues, who's proven that he's gotten better, who went to Japan, pitched fantastic, and has a chip on his shoulder and will come in cheap, and yeah, I'm not saying you're going to sit, you're not going to sign up to a six year deal. You might sign up to a one year deal, maybe a two year deal with an opt out. It's Trevor Bauer.
3: All right, let me let me get to Hinjin Rayu because if this was three years ago, I probably would say, sure, bring him in. Like, why not? Hinjin Rayu is also a guy the Mets have had major trouble with. But if you look at him over the last two years in Toronto, and you touched on it, he barely pitches. He ba- and he's gonna be 36 years old. So, or I'm sorry, 37 years old. So you're talking about an older pitcher who never ever pitches. And so while I'm all for the short one year deal, like what's the added bonus if he pitches well, like in the case of Luis Severino and Adrian Hauser, they could pitch well and then stay like they could pitch well. And then David Stearns and the Mets can say, you know what? We figured out Luis Severino. Not that we want to give him some kind of crazy seven year, $200 million deal, but let's keep him around. And maybe Luis Severino would want to stick around because, hey, he turned his career around with the New York Mets. Adrian Hauser has a solid year, and you pay him what a fifth starter is worth, and you bring him back. Hinjin Ryu is 37 years old. There's no, he pitches well, let's keep him around. Because if he pitches well and actually stays healthy, which he hasn't done in three years, you'd almost just count your lucky stars and say, let's move the hell on. I, I want somebody who, yes, you can help out this season but also could be a possibility for the future. And Montgomery, and I know it's a long-term deal. I get it. And He's probably going to get close to what Scott Barrs wants. He's going to be overpaid. And I think we have to accept that, that most free agents are going to get their what they want, especially starting pitchers in this market. So you have to go into it knowing, okay, you're going to overpay him. But what's wrong with overpaying a guy here and there? Like, why is that? necessarily the worst thing in the world. Like That's what you have to do sometimes to attract free agents, and a guy like Montgomery is short-term and he's long-term because I don't think he's a guy that's going to give you one more good year and then fall apart. He's trending in the right direction. Since he's gotten away from the Yankees with St. Louis and then with Texas last year, he's getting better and better and better. And I don't think his struggles in New York had anything to do with New York. It had to do with the Yankees' inability to unlock him. And now he's getting unlocked. And so it is going to be very disappointing to me if the fifth starter that they add, and I don't mean fifth starter as in he's their fifth starter, maybe he's their third or fourth starter, comes from that pool of Lauer and Odorizzi and Paxton and Kluber. Like, they're humans, and they, <laughs> they add to the rotation, but there's no redeeming quality for 2024.
4: What do you have against Jordan Montgomery, by the way? It's it's not a a thing against him. I just don't trust. I don't think this 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 free agency group is very good. I think there's much better guys coming out in free agency next year. I'd much rather give them the longer term contract. I really I really
2: do. But you have
4: to give Pete. Think about this.
3: You're gonna have to give three guys at minimum, big time no. contracts next year. No, no, you don't. Yeah, you if they're you're, gonna try to win in 2025, what the hell's their rotation? Unless you're assuming that you know Christian Scott. And Blade Tidwell like burst onto the scene this year, and they get a couple of their own guys to be good enough for you to say, "Hey, I'm good with three fifths of my rotation." But if none of that happens, you're gonna
4: have to sign three, four
3: starting pitchers.
4: Well, first of all, if you sign Woodruff this year, that, that that already gives you a guy next year, okay? And again, I know that's a that's a it's it's caution, but I take that. If you think that Severino is going to do well and you're thinking like, okay, he's going to earn himself a contract. By the way, Ryu and Severino have pitched about the same amount the past four years. Their ratings are both low. Look at so the age I, difference though, bro. Oh, oh, I, I get that. I get that. But it's still the same. If Severino barely pitches and he doesn't do anything, they're both going to get pushed to the side. It doesn't make a right. difference. It's more about competing this year and figuring out what you can do for next year. And I trust that Sterns, listen, if Sterns decides to say Jordan Montgomery is the guy, we're going to go give him six years, $160 million, all right, fine, but I have too many flashbacks of Carlos Rodon. And that's my problem, is I see two a guy who had two really good seasons and then got overpaid and is not good, and I have, uh, I have a worry that that could be Jordan Montgomery. Yeah, but
3: I think what you're forgetting is that Next year, while I like the class too, and we've mentioned some of the frontline names that are available in free agency next year, specifically Zach Wheeler, Corbin Byrne, Shane Bieber, you're going to have to overpay next year. Like, all you're doing is saying, hey, we don't think we're going to be that good this year. Let's fill it out with one-year deals. And then next year, the year in which, quote-unquote, the timeline is supposed to hit, like, barring, again, young pitchers stepping up this season, and none of this will happen in the first few months of the season. It would all happen in the second half of the year. Again, whether it's Stewart or it's Scott or it's Tidwell, you name the guy, or it's Tyler McGill putting it all together. Or it's Joey Lucchese, who, by the way, is going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Like, you're putting yourself in a spot where you're going to have to add so many starting pitchers next year. And the things you don't want to do this year, you're going to then have to do
4: next year for more than one guy. Yeah, but I, I'm, not, I'm not opposed to overpaying. I don't want to overpay... For crap, and th- again, that's that's the difference. I believe in Corbin Burns. I believe in some of those other names with the Shane Bieber. I don't believe as much as Jordan Montgomery, and it's not just about him too because Blake Snell sucks. I, I can't guy who's got two Cy Youngs was sitting here saying, I don't want him on my it,
3: team. Here are some of the other starting pitchers available in free agency next year, besides the names you've heard us say over and over again: Zach Wheeler, Corbin Burns, Shane Bieber. Max Scherzer is a free agent. Any interest? I'm going to say no to that one. <laughs> Chris Sale, who the Atlanta Braves just bought in and are paying him nothing because that contract's being pushed back as well. Chris Sale, there's a club option on. They will not exercise it. He'll be a free agent. You want Chris Sale? Depends on how he pitches this year for the Braves, which is going to be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, there's nothing Chris Sale can do that's going to make me want him next year. <laughs> Patrick Corbin's contract finally runs out. Do you want Patrick Corbin? No. Uh, Robbie Ray has an opt out. You want Robbie Ray? Not, not particularly. No. Charlie Morton at forty one's a free agent. You want Charlie Morton? No. Okay, let's go through the names quicker. Frankie Montes just signed a one year deal. He'll be available. Jack Flaherty we'll signed a one year deal. He'll be available. Kyle Hendricks, Luis Severino, Jose Quintana, obviously of the Mets. uh- Cla- Kyle Gibson has a club option. Ross Stripling, Andrew Haney, Anthony Desclafani. You, uh, you say you, could, Cicucci, Alex Cobb, Jordan Lyles, Martin Perez. And then, of course, the names we mentioned, Corbin Burns, Max Freed, Shane Bieber, Walker Bueller, Nick Pavetta. Like, you see what I'm saying? I mean, it's not like the top of the list is good. And I want to go after those guys. But then, you know, you kind of drift off into the mediocrity we're talking about. So here's the point I'm going to make. Take Jordan Montgomery. Cause I think we were, we were in lockstep on Blake snow. We're both not pursuing him. If you took Jordan Montgomery and you put him on that list, I just mentioned, where would he rank? Would he be behind Corbin Burns? Yes, he would. Yeah. We agree yeah. with that. Yeah. Would he be behind Zach Wheeler? Yes, he would. Yes. Would he be behind Max freed? Yes. Yeah. I agree. Would he be behind Shane Bieber? it's it's close it's close one guy's trending the right way the other guy's trending the wrong way you're right you're right and i would definitely put him ahead of walker bueller coming off of the injuries that we're talking about so you're looking at a guy who would be on that i'd say fourth level of starting pitching not level he'd be fourth ranked fourth in terms of starting pitching unless you think the mets are signing every
4: top starter next year you're gonna need that kind of guy so why not do it now? Well, hold on. Let me just tell you something. Guess who's not going to be in competition for pitching next year? The L.A. Dodgers. They just bought all their pitching. They don't need any more pitching next year. So that's one team. That's one, one of team. 30. Okay. The Yankees, we don't think, are going to spend as much money. Look, 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 Go through the list of teams that we're going to be fighting up against. Look at their rotations. Like The Braves have a good rotation. I, I don't think they're going to be stealing guys okay, the way that the
3: but- Mets are. But And I don't want to be ultra negative about this. Let's say there is one guy that steps up over the course of the 2024 season in this rotation where we're like, hey, that guy should be in the rotation, whoever it is. It could be Tyler McGill. It could be Jose Budo. It could be one of the prospects we mentioned. But I think saying more than one is being a little too aggressive. Like the idea that we're going to go into the offseason saying, huh, we got four rotation spots all set. We're good. That's being a little too optimistic. So let's say there's one guy that steps up. And obviously the younger kids could then battle for a rotation spot. You still are looking to add two or three starting pitchers to your mix. Are they signing the top two starting pitchers in free agency? Oh, by the way, in the same offseason, in which hypothetically they're pursuing Juan Soto and hypothetically, they're trying to keep Pete Alonzo. That, that's where I'm trying to think ahead. That's all I'm doing. Like, I'm thinking, hey, how can I win into 2024? Because I do think the Mets are somewhat trying to do that. And how do I set myself up where I'm looking for less things in 2025? That's why, A, extending Pete Alonso right now has a value. And B, adding a starting pitcher, who I think we all agreed would be ranked fourth in terms of the best free agent next season. Why not add him now? So at least I go into this season better and in all likelihood, I go into 2025 thinking, all right, I got
4: three spots
3: in my rotational set. Fi- final pushback on me,
4: if you tell me that Jordan Montgomery is going to be what, uh, 25 million dollars a year, maybe maybe 30, we're thinking, right? You have to spend that now. Yeah, he's still on the books next year for the same amount of money. So what's the difference if you go and pay for, and get again? We have to say that we're going to get, not say Walker Bueller, but a Max Freed. And the Corbin Burns for the same amount of money anyway.
3: Because you're getting the guy to help you now. I, I understand. You're trying to win in 2024, and then, yes, also 2025. We'll see how this plays out. Right now, since the Mets lost out on Yamamoto, they have not been linked to much. One idea that's really, really interesting was the rumor that came out a couple of days ago about the Boston Red Sox potentially telling a free agent, hey, we just need to move some money and then we'll be really interested in you. And one of the names being mentioned as a movable contract, and I would absolutely bring this guy in. I'd give up very little to get him. At least I would tell Boston this. I'm not giving you much. Uh, I'd give you a double-A prospect who's not in my top 10. It's Kenley Jansen. Kenley Jansen makes $16 million in 2024 and then he's off the books as a free agent. That would be... A smart move. That would be a move that's using the bank account. That would be a move that strengthens my bullpen, but not at some absurd level where I'm giving Josh Hader some kind of crazy five-year contract. And look, I think Kenley Jansen, who's had a wonderful career, you sit him down and you say, look, we're not guaranteeing that Edwin Diaz is always pitching the ninth inning. We're going to play the matchup game. And obviously, because of Kenley's devastating changeup, which he still throws incredibly well, he gets lefties out. He's always gotten lefties out. He got lefties out last year. So will there be scenarios where you're pitching the ninth inning? Absolutely. Will there be a lot of scenarios where you're pitching the eighth inning? Yes. Because quite frankly, at this point in your career, Edwin Diaz is better. But I'm just being nice because once he's traded here, you know, Carlos Mendoza uses him the way he wants to use him. Uh, It is concerning that Kenley Jansen has killed the Mets that, like, could he come here at this part of his career and then really fall off the deep end? Sure. But it's only one year. If he fails, he fails. He's gone at the end of the season. And because he's making $16 million a year, I would assume you don't have to give up all that much. Uh, I think that's a win win. It's a win for Boston because they get to move that contract, assuming they don't want him anymore. And I think that's a, an assumption if they're trying to clear money and you strengthen this bullpen because, Pete, we've talked about it. They need to add another. Like, real, reliable major leaguer. They've already gone out, added a lot of potential arms. And, yeah, they're going to have to hit on potential arms. Like, if the Mets are going to be good next year, you're going to need a Michael Tonkin or Jorge Lopez or Johan Ramirez to just come out of nowhere and pitch well. And that happens. Like, that's what good teams do. That's what the Mets are going to have to do if they're going to surprise people. But right now in their bullpen, they have two guys that I would put under the reliable column, Edwin Diaz and Brooks Raley. If you get Ed Kenley Jansen for a mid-level prospect on a one-year, $16 million deal, let's and go.
4: Yeah, I'm all about that. And, and again, for relievers, I think that I'm, I'm tired of, of going for multiple years with them. I just want to go one, one by one. And I think, and I, this is, again, I, I'm trying to just be this person now. I'm trying to really trust David Stearns and see what <laughs> – I, re, I really am. I want to see what he's going to build. I want to see this pitching lab. I want to see what they could do with some of these projects they have. Can they pull something out of their farm system and really make these guys into, like, flamethrowers or whatever it is? Because last year's bullpen was finesse. It was a lot of finesse. Edwin Diaz was, was a was an arm that was missing because he was the only guy that had major velocity, and the Mets didn't have that in the bullpen. You need to have some sort of variation, but flamethrowers is a must. And I want to see what David Stearns could do. Kenley Jansen has enough still in the tank to definitely annoy somebody. That's the sure. the relievers market
3: has not really heated up, so I don't think we gotta have to, we don't have to get nuts about that. It's kind of the same thing with the DH bat. I've been debating how many bats they actually need to add. Uh, JD Martinez and Justin Turner. I don't want to say they're redundant because they're so different, but they are sort of redundant because if you hypothetically sign both guys, you're blocking Brett Beatty from having an opportunity to play because JD's going to be a DH. He's not going to play the outfield. And that means Justin Turner has to play third base, which means Brett Brady's blocked. So, it's either or in Turner and Martinez. I've gone back and forth on who I prefer. I probably lean a little bit towards Justin Turner because of his ability to play third base, because he's really shown no sign of slowing down. Uh, He has more of a track record of staying healthy over the last few years than JD Martinez. But if you add Justin Turner, do they still need another bat? The answer is probably yeah, because they're going to need a left fielder. I mean, right now who's their starting left fielder? So they still need to add two bats, a reliable reliever, and a starting pitcher. It's like the offseason hasn't even started, by the way.
4: No, it really really hasn't. I mean, listen, obviously they've made a ton of moves, but they've made all low-level moves just to build up their depth, and I'm okay with that. I do think, and I think you may have mentioned him, um, but I've been really – I know Giro Urshela was mentioned. I think Tim Anderson really is somebody that's a project, but they can come in, play second base. You push McNeil to left field, and you now – you put, you filled out your 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 field.
3: is Urshela, all right. Like he's fine. I think we already know what he is. Tim Anderson is that high reward. Maybe he finds himself from a couple of years ago. Uh but those are, you know, decent pieces. Uh I'd pr- probably prefer Tim Anderson because of the high reward if he could ever get back to what he was just a couple of years ago. That'd be the big reward. But here we are in early january and we're just looking around saying all right uh, what are we gonna do when are we getting better and i know some med fans are frustrated because they're not exactly linked to a lot of players but more on this obviously as the offseason rolls on we did a couple of podcasts over the last week that generated a lot of responses and they're worth reading and they're worth getting into we did a podcast on one year wonders and i wanted to find it again because it's Met players who are only here for one year, not a Met player who was here for five years and had one really good year. I mean, literally, they were only here for one year. And there were a lot of names that we left out, so I, I give it to the Rico audience who did a great job in the emails saying, hey, what about this guy? What about that guy? And while some all brush off and say, yeah, he sucks, or yeah, he doesn't count, there were a lot of good ones. So let's get right to it. Zalman Freed writes, Guys love the podcast. I was thinking of a couple of players that you have may have missed. The obvious one, Justin Verlander from this past season. <laughs> that is fair. That is fair. I've had some remorse about Verlander over the last couple of weeks. Um, I don't regret the Mets trading him. We'll see what these kids, Ryan Clifford and Drew Gilbert, turn into. But if you remember... During the course of those couple of days in between trading Max and trading Justin, I was passionate about not trading Justin Verlander. And my reason for it is exactly the situation we're in now. Exactly. Which was, how do you replace both of them? Replacing one of them? Okay, no big deal. Replacing both of them was going to be tough. So just imagine this real quick, and I'll get back to Zalman's email. They never make the Justin Verlander trade. Forget about how last year plays out. Who cares? They suck. This season, this offseason, we are looking at the same offseason except Justin Verlander is in the Met rotation. And right now, you're looking at Verlander, Senga, Quintana, Severino, Hauser, and yeah, they missed that on Yamamoto. How much better would we feel about A, this rotation, and B, just going into next year? I don't think there's any doubt we would feel better about this Met team. Now, the trade off is you don't have the two prospects you added and we'll see what those guys turn into. But the reason I was against the Verlander trade, I think it's very obvious to see now, early January, why? Because it was so difficult to replace multiple starting pitchers. Anyhow, yes, Zalman, Verlander certainly qualifies as a one-year wonder. He couldn't even get to the season, but he pitched reasonably well. The other names he mentions, Hisanori Takahashi. Hisanori Takahashi. And I don't know why we mentioned him on a previous Rico. Oh, I know why. I think it was a year ago when we were talking about other Japanese imports that the Mets have had. Hisanori Takahashi was like this soft-tossing lefty who pitched out of the bullpen and in the rotation, had like a a three-and-a-half ERA the one year he was with the Mets in 2010. So, yes, he was a a solid one-year wonder. The other one he mentions is Scott Harrison. Scott Harrison, believe it or not, spent two years here. So he he would not fit. Let me confirm that, by the way, because that's what my
4: memory tells me. Well he, got, tra- he yes, got traded, he was right? For two years, so he's out. Eleven and twelve. What was that? He got traded here, right? The, was that the, the initial part of it? Like he didn't sign originally, did he? Or did they I trade think him we away? He signed him as a free agent as a right handed bat. Yeah, he was
3: signed as a free agent after he was with the Padres and spent two full years here, and then the Mets oh. let him go and he left. He had a very good second year here, had a lot of home runs, was crushing lefties. So unfortunately, Scott Harrison does not fit. But you are right about Hisonori Takahashi and Justin Verlander. Some other names he mentions, uh, guys who had great careers and then came here to die. By the way, that's another podcast. (laughs) We could do a whole podcast on that. It's pretty much everybody. Very good players who just came (laughs) here to die. And his uh, examples are Adrian Gonzalez. Good example. Jose Bautista. Fair example. Bobby Abreu and Gary Sheffield. Yeah. I don't think think you're wrong about that
4: one. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Yeah, we forget about that. Oh, I hate him.
3: Clayton writes, here's a name I forgot. Desi Relaford. That's a good call. Desi Relaford in 2001 hit 302 with an 836 OPS. Yeah, Desi Relaford was not a bad little one-year wonder for the New York Mets. Uh, Clayton also mentions Mark Guthrie in 2002. We got him for David Justice. David Justice, who never played for the Mets. Justice for Ventura. And then we flipped him for Mark Guthrie. And then he mentions a name that's also going to be mentioned a lot. And that is Richard Hidalgo. Richard Hidalgo is also mentioned by Brandon, uh, by Craig, by a bunch of guys. Everybody wants to mention Richard Hidalgo. Here's the problem with Richard Hidalgo. He had, I used to call him Dick Hidalgo. Dick Hidalgo. I actually never called him that. I want to make that clear. I never wrote his name in my scorebook as Dick Hidalgo. Okay. Thinking about Richard Hidalgo right now. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't want to call him Dick Hidalgo? The guy had one good month. One good month. He tore it up in July for the one year he was here. He had 10 home runs, had a 1,000 OPS. He was a freaking beast. The rest of his one year with the Mets was not that good. It, it just wasn't. It's not quite John Buck who had that huge April. But it sort of is. Here is final numbers. 228 batting average, 759 OPS, 21 home runs, 52 RBIs. And that was in 2004, man. That feels like it was yesterday. That was 20 freaking years ago that Richard Hidalgo was on the Mets. But he had this huge month of July in which he had 10 home runs and had an OPS over 1,000. So not that I'm the judge and the executioner in this whole thing. But I, I'm sorry. That doesn't count. I just can't include that. (laughs) Eric L.C. writes, the one-year wonder that most comes to mind is Moises Alou, who I remember as a clockwork hit machine for the Mets. Alou was hurt a lot, which forced him to retire. I don't think you included him in the podcast. Per baseball reference, Alou only had 49 at-bats in his second year with the Mets with his last game on June 10th. I believe that makes the cut because he barely played contrast that with lance johnson who i don't believe makes the cut he had 265 at bats in his second year before being traded to the cubs i think when i mentioned lance johnson it was an honorable mention moises Alou definitely deserves to be an honorable mention because you are right about that like he was here for two years but it wasn't you know he didn't really play very much in that second season mainly because the guy could not stay healthy It, it was so unfortunate man because Moises Alou, and I have to look up where this kind of falls in Met history. Moises Alou, over the course of those two years he was here, played 102 games. He had 377 at-bats. So it's not quite a full season, but it's a pretty big sample size. His batting average as a Met was 342. Like that is one of the great, I know it's not a long period of time, but that's one of the great runs you'll ever see. That's the highest batting average in Met history. No, unfortunately, well, Mo- it doesn't count. It's not enough at thats, but
4: still, no. no but Moises Alou was one of those dudes that was like, when you got him, because I remember him with the Cubs, with all these other teams, the Marlins, and like I just remember it, like him being a winner, and like I, I kind of wanted to see him be part of the Mets as they won. And I remember obviously the 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 no batting gloves. That was another thing about yep. about him too. It just he just was. That's why when they said, "Hey, you know, uh, we're gonna get a new manager." His name is, um, I'm blanking on his name now, because he's Rojas, Luis Rojas. And he's a link to the lose. I'm like, oh, he's got to be great, right? Remember Moises? (laughs) Not even close. Yeah.
3: (laughs) It's unfortunate that Moises couldn't stay healthy. And look, a part of that's the Mets' own fault. They brought him in when he was 40. So when you have a 40, 41-year-old, we Jet fans are learning about that with Aaron Rodgers. You can't expect them to just be healthy. You know, you bring in a guy, who's 32 years old, prime of his career. You're like, yeah, I expect you to be healthy. But being upset that Moises Alou
4: was hurt, like you'd be upset, but you almost
3: had to expect it at that age in his
4: career. Hold on. So just really quickly, and I know that we're getting off topic now because we're going back to things we talked about. We're looking to add Justin Turner or J.D. Martinez as the bat for this offseason. We're yes. going the same route again. <laughs> I, I, I get it. But you know what?
3: Eyes <laughs> wide open. I, I get it. There's going to be a risk. (laughs) Older guys are more risky to get hurt. Okay, you got Uh. me. Will Brown brings up a very good point. Evan, I'm surprised you didn't mention the Mike Hampton gift that keeps on giving during this holiday season. As we all know, his leaving ultimately did improve the Mets with the selection of David Wright in the first round of the 2001 MLB draft with the compensatory pick the Mets received as a result of Hampton's exodus. Truly the best one-year wonder. That's a great point, Will. That is a good point. When we talked about Mike Hampton as the greatest one-hit wonder in the history of the New York Mets, we did leave out that there was a parting gift. It's funny. I don't know why I remember this, but there are certain free agents that you lose that, I guess to hold out hope that things are going to be okay, you remember who is taken with that compensatory pick. So in the case of Mike Hampton, it's easy because the guy turned out to be a really good player. But the other free agent I think of that the Mets lost, where I always think about the compensatory pick, was Jose Reyes. Do you know who the Mets selected with Jose Reyes' compensatory pick? I don't know why this one jumps out at me, but again, maybe it was the coping of losing Jose Reyes in free agency.
4: All right. So this is year 2012? Yeah. And the guy, by the
3: way, made it to the major leagues. So... I am not bringing up someone that didn't get here.
4: Uh is it's not Conforto, is it? It is not Michael Conforto, no.
3: You is it a pitcher?
4: Is it a pitcher? It
3: is a catcher. And that guy's name is Kevin Plowecki. <laughs> oh. Great. Kevin Plowecki. So when the <laughs> Mets drafted Kevin Plowecki, I was like, oh, they could make they could make this thing work out. Larry Klein brings up a great one year wonder that I did not mention. And that's a bad job out of me. That's why the Rico listeners are so damn good. And the person I'm talking about revealed to, I think I was doing the show with Joe at the time. Now I get confused. Who the hell was I doing the show with when we talked to this man? But this man revealed that he always wanted to see what it was like to pitch in New York, in LA, in San Francisco, and in Chicago. He never got the chance to do Chicago. Pitched in LA, which is where he was known pitched in San Francisco and pitched that one year with the New York Mets and had a really I mean good maybe too strong but he went out there and made 32 starts and was a crafty veteran for the 1999 New York Mets and that's Oral Hershiser. Oral Hershiser, one year with the Mets, 13 and 12, 4.58 ERA, 179 innings for some of our older listeners and not that much older than us, but like a few years older. You remember Oral Hershiser as like the devil, as a guy you hated from his days with the L.A. Dodgers, specifically with his domination in 1988. And there he was 11 years later as the wildly veteran for Bobby Valentine, who I'm still convinced was scuffing the ball every five seconds. Think about it. Oral was like touching his hat. He was touching his ass. He was touching everything. And all of a sudden that ball would dance. So I've got no proof to back it up. But I, I was always under the illusion that Oral Hershiser was, you know, cheating a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit, nothing wrong with that. It happens. It happens. All right, a couple of guys wrote this one year wonder. Don King was one of them. And that is, and Luan Hassani was another. So I want to give proper credit to everyone who brought this guy up. And that's Chris Bassett. Chris Bassett had a very good one year for the New York Mets in 2022 15-9, ERA through 181 innings. I think the problem, unfortunately, for Chris Bassett, and this will be the way we remember him, we will remember him for the way it ended. We'll remember him for the comments about us as fans and pitching in New York City. But more than that, we'll remember for what happened in Atlanta against the Braves and certainly what happened in the Game 3 winner-take-all against the San Diego Padres. Is that necessarily fair? Not really. Because he had a very good year. I remember we would talk about it on the Rico. He was their most reliable starting pitcher. And all of a sudden, he's not there anymore when they needed him the most. So we definitely appreciate it on the one-year wonders. Now, the other pod we were talking about was our favorite seasons in med history. A couple of comments about that. Let's go to Tim S. Tim writes, I don't know. I know it doesn't exactly compare to 2006 or 2015. Would have loved to hear some mention of the 2019 season. So many guys outperformed expectations, or had incredible individual seasons. JD Davis, Michael Conforto, Ahmed Rosario, Jeff McNeil, Seth Lugo, Pete Alonso, Jacob Degrom. There were also so many magical moments: Todd Frazier and Luis Guillorme in the Nat Series in August; JD's walk off, Dom's walk off to end the year. Maybe I'm biased because it was our first exciting season in a few years, or because I was at quite a, those ga- quite a few of those games. But I'm convinced that if we turned things around a week or two earlier, that we could have made a serious run in October. If you read this on the pod, give a shout out to my buddy Jesse, who introduced me to the Rico in the first place. Love the pod. Best of all. Best of luck to you and Pete in the new year. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Jesse. I will tell you why respectfully, 2019 is like a pimple on my ass. Well, I don't like 2019. Now, I respect you love it. That's the beauty of a podcast of what was your favorite season. You can love what I hate. I'll tell you why I hate 2019. Pete, let's play a game. Say, Evan, what do you think of when you think of 2019? Evan, let me ask you a question. What
4: really sticks out to you when I say the Mets in 2019?
3: Brutal losses.
4: (laughs) So many of them, so
3: many of them. Edwin Diaz in Los Angeles, the drop pop up in San Francisco, the freaking Kurt Suzuki game against the Nationals in September. You know, the same Nationals team that was a wild card team, won a wild card game, and by the way, won the whole freaking thing. Like that season, and I get what Tim is saying. Oh, there was so many great moments. There were so many exciting things. You're not wrong. There were some exciting things. But you know what outweighed the exciting things? All the kick in the ball losses. 2019 was chock full of awful losses. Like there were a lot of seasons that kind of mixed together. Yeah, you almost don't forget a lot. Or you don't remember a lot, I should say. 2019 is a year I'm convinced like 15 years from now I'm going to remember. And you're going to say it, and I'm going to say, yeah, Edwin Diaz sucking in L.A. Like, it's just going to jump out at me because they
4: did have a lot of those. You're going to have a lot of Jesse Winker nightmares? (laughs) God, there's so many of them. But let me just say something, though. First of all, when we have bad seasons, by the way, we usually have bad seasons. It doesn't just go like, oh, you know, it was a waste of a season. we usually have brutal losses after brutal losses after brutal losses. And it, they are just, they're daggers. It's never just, a, you know what, the season was a wash, whatever.
3: That's what made that season so unique. You're right. Like, just think about in our lifetime, how many times the Mets have been over 500. That's it. Just over 500, right? So think about this. Uh, let's start this kind of run after the Valentine era. So under 500, no two under 500, no three under 500, no four, little over 500, five, but they collapsed in September. Great year in 06 over 500, and seven, eight, but they collapsed both seasons, right? Under 509 under 510 under 511 under 512 under 513 under 514 get to the world series in 15 get to the wild card game in 16 under 517 under 518 19 like the odd year of being good but not good enough under 520 under 521 collapse 100 wins in 2022 under 523 so when you think about it we're either under 500 and sucking or above 500 and something is a big is happening like, we're going to the World Series or we're collapsing. Like, there's no in-between. There's there's no, you know, Yankee, like, ah, it was a quiet 85-win season. Like, we don't have those things. It's
4: weird. No, and that's what makes our fan base so, I don't want to say impulsive, but, like, anxious every year. Like, that's what makes us really great. Someone was talking to me about this. Like, they were talking about the podcast today, and they were literally saying – we're not really sure. Is it Evan that's just really amazing or the Mets fans that are just diehard? And it really is. The Mets fan is so locked into every single game, every single season because every game is impactful. It, it, it doesn't make a difference how good or bad a We're year is. We're sick.
3: We're sick Fs, <laughs> as they say.
4: Most writes,
3: the greatest Mets season. I absolutely agree putting the 97 season in the top five. They came out of nowhere after six straight losing seasons. And what made it even better, if you remember, they started that season like 3-10 and before they got hot in May. I'll tell you what I remember about that, Moshe. 1997, the Mets began the season on the road. This was the only year Major League Baseball tried what I'm about to describe. They tried a warm weather schedule to start the season. So if you were in a cold weather climate, you would play on the road. You would not play at home. So the New York Mets and the New York Yankees, two cold weather climate teams without a dome, started on the West Coast. And they started on the West Coast for a long, long time. And I remember hating it. Like the first game of the year was against the Padres opening day. The new look bullpen completely imploded. Ricky Henderson danced around hitting a home run. Off of uh, Toby Borland or Ricardo Jordan, one of those two uh, clowns. And the Mets lost the first game against San Diego, and they actually began their season, I'm going to say three and six. I don't have it in front of me, but it was like three and six. They then come home to start the year. This is so vivid in my mind. I can't remember if this game made the cut in my book that's coming out. April 3rd, by the way. It's called My Mets Bible. April 3rd. You can actually pre order it on Amazon now. I'm not even kidding you. If you go to Amazon and search Evan Roberts, there's a couple of uh, books about this Welsh guy named Evan Roberts. And then when you get to the fourth book, you'll actually see my Mets Bible. It exists. And I forgot if I took this game off because in this book, I publish 81 games. My most memorable 81 games that I scored in Mets history. A lot of wins, a lot of losses, all mixed in. And I think this one was on the cut. And that was opening day, 1997, the home opener, because they started all these games on the road. They didn't open on a Friday. They said, no, 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 the Yankees open on a Friday. We don't want to be embarrassed by the defending world champions. So they had Thursday and Friday off. They were scheduled to open on a Saturday and Saturday got rained out. So they opened the season with a double header on Sunday against the San Francisco Giants in which there was nobody in the building because it wasn't even really opening day. We got screwed out of an opening day in 1997. And I don't even remember what happens in the doubleheader. But you're right, Moish. We got off to a bad start. We sucked, And then, obviously, they turned the season around and sort of got into the playoff race. So, I agree with you. Oh, This, this one's going to piss you off, Pete. I'm telling you right now. Clayton's email, you're not going to like. What, what is that? Why?
0: I want to point out.
3: things about the 2022 season and the
1: 2015 season.
3: I'm kind of siding with Pete on the 2015 season. Oh, so it's pissing me off, not you off. My bad. (laughs) Good. Let's go, Clayton. (laughs) That season wasn't great until August. Those last two months were about as fun as it got. But let's not forget the team was no hit twice that season. One by Chris freaking Heston and the other by Max Scherzer. There was a lot of painful moments in 2015, even though it ended up being great. I was also, I, w- I also think at the sting, as the sting of 2022 wears off in the coming years, you're going to feel a little differently about that season. I agree with a lot of what you said, and I hated the fact that they couldn't win a damn game in Atlanta, but there were a ton of fun moments that season that helped make it special. The win against the Cardinals at Bush Stadium when they put up like five runs in the ninth inning, they had a similar win against the Phillies later in the season, the no hitter, all that. There were countless wins that were a bunch of fun. Remember Nimmo's catch against the wall against the Dodgers? How great was that? The trumpets with Diaz. I mean, it was a fun, fun season that ended horribly. While it may not top 2006 for you, I think eventually you'll feel differently about 2022 once the sting wears off a bit. By the way, here's the problem with me ever liking 2022. You know what would make me like 2022? That's not good. If we suck for the next 10 years, if oh. we're bad for a long period of time, yeah, I may wistfully look back at the year we won 100 games and say, that was fun. But if this team is back in the postseason in 24 or 25 and 26, I don't know, man. It's going to be very tough to imagine thinking of the 2020, 2022 two two thousand twenty two season in some kind of positive way. Pete Gargano writes the case for 2019 big fan of the podcast. You guys are keeping Mets talk alive in this lackluster off season. So far, I like, I feel like the 2019 season was one of my favorites and I'm surprised it wasn't mentioned. How about another 2019 mention aside from Edwin. This makes me laugh aside from Edwin Diaz imploding at every closing opportunity. I feel like there was a lot of excitement that season. The Pete Alonso chase for the rookie home run record was thrilling. Jacob DeGrom asserted himself as the best pitcher on the planet. Jeff McNeil also established himself as a true contender for the batting crown as well. Seth Lugo emerged as one of the most dominant relievers in baseball. There were a number of memorable wins, including Conforto's walk-off double against the Nats in August, when it seemed like there was a chance they could get to the playoffs, as well as Dom's walk-off pinch at home run in the final game of the season after he had missed months of the year due to injury. I just feel like this seemed to be the beginning of a budding core, and that was new and exciting when compared to the two prior years. I can't get over the losses. I mean, think about what Pete said. Outside of Edwin Diaz blowing every imaginable opportunity, I can't, I can't just move on from that. It's That's a fi- tough it's a, one.
4: It's official. <laughs> the Mets fans love pain. <laughs> That's
3: what. <laughs> that is true. And finally... This is an email that's very, very fresh. It was sent within an hour of us doing this podcast and has everything to do with my beard. I have not cut my beard. I have not cut any of my hair, as I declared about a month and a half ago, out of loyalty to Pete Alonzo. I will not shave until Pete Alonso is extended. And as Pete Hoffman will describe, and maybe you've gotten a chance to see it on SNY, uh, my beard is getting very thick.
4: Is that a way, is that a way to describe it, Pete? It's a, and I got to be honest, it's, it's gorgeous. It really is. Like, I, I love that beard. Don't, I, <laughs> I, I, this is, you should be very proud of this. Well, Frank V. disagrees.
3: <laughs> Frank writes in the subject line, why you need to shave your beard and cut your hair, your poor <laughs> wife. I'm kidding mostly, but I do think what you and a lot of others need to realize is that the Mets are not extending Pete Alonzo this offseason. And I'm perfectly fine with it. Your argument of one less thing to do next year is borderline lazy. A good front office should be able to chew gum and walk at the same time. Why not extend them? It's really simple. Make him play for a contract in 2024. It's clear that the Mets are going to add a game-changing bat to the... I'm sorry. It's clear the Mets are not going to add a game-changing bat to the lineup this year. Maybe at best a solid DH, but not someone that boasts the offense to tops in the league. But you know what you can, but you know what can do that? A historic season from a power hitting player set to get his generational wealth. The Pete Alonso playing for the 2024 is worth 12 more home runs, 25 more RBIs, 50 more slugging points, and the one who's just locked up security for himself and his family forever. End of story. Don't extend Pete. Stearns won't. Cohen won't. They're aligned. Make him play and offer him the biggest deal next year. The Mets hold all the cards, Pete practically begging to stay on Met forever. And if the Mets offer him more money than anyone else next year and he walks, he looks like a complete tool. Boris is probably telling him to keep his trap shut and avoid Ranger games. (laughs) Paranoia that he'll walk because of hurt feelings and things that have happened in Mets history decades ago are irrelevant to what's happening in reality today. Yes, that is a shot at every argument your old partner ever makes about why things happen. Bro, remember what happened 40 years ago with this franchise? Oh, the pain. Stop it, Joe. You sound ridiculous yelling at the same cloud every Saturday morning. Wow, Frank managed to take shots at me and Joe in the <laughs> same email. All right, a lot to address here. Yeah, you can walk and chew gum at the same time, of course. But next offseason, if Pete Alonzo is a free agent, there will be teams bidding on him. Yeah, the Mets could simply just offer him the most money. They could offer Juan Soto the most money. They could offer Shane Bieber the most money. I do think it makes things easier to not have six free agents you need to sign. Because I do want them to target Juan Soto. Like this lineup, this core, the Mets have a good core. Do they have a great core? No, they have a good core. They have a core of good players. Francisco Lindor is a really good player. Pete Alonso, very good. Brandon Nimmo, good. Jeff McNeil, up and down good. What I would want to do to that core is add to it. Now, they're going to have a chance to add to it with youth, especially over the next couple of years. But if you could add a generational bat like Juan Soto, not to replace Pete Alonso, to add to Pete Alonso, I'd love to see it. I think that could take the Mets to the next level. The same with adding the starting pitchers we talked about earlier in the podcast. So I don't think it's crazy or lazy to say, yeah, I want to get this thing done with him now because I don't want the Mets to have to have the priority of five or six moves. They have to get done next offseason. Number one. Number two, the motivation thing, dude, is that do you really believe that? Like, for every Aaron Judge, which I know is so fun to cite, I'll name you other guys who sucked in their free agent year. Cody Bellinger sucked in his free agent year. Then he signed a one-year deal with the Cubs and was great in his free agent year. Do you think he was not motivated in his last year in L.A., but he was motivated in the one year he had in Chicago? So I I just, I think we oversimplify that. Oh, motivate him. He'll have a big year. Do you think Aaron Judge, uh, look, Aaron Judge was motivated, but do you think Aaron Judge got hurt last year in Los Angeles because he wasn't in a contract year? Do you think Aaron Judge got hurt a few years earlier diving for fly ball in right field against the Angels in September because it wasn't a contract year? Or is it possible Aaron Judge was lucky last year or two years ago? Sometimes we make this too simple. Ah, he was motivated. That's why he had a big year. Oh, Pete will be motivated. He'll have a big year. Not everyone plays like that. Is it possible Pete Alonzo kind of grabs the bat too tight this year and struggles? And so you can say, well, that's a good thing, Evan. You'll get him for less. You may get him for less, but Pete Alonzo has a bad year this year. The Mets' chances of winning aren't good. So I disagree with a lot of that. But I do appreciate the email, Frank. And uh, no, I can't have it out. I set out a loyalty to Pete. I will keep my hair growing. So unless I negotiate some kind of truce with uh the figures on my radio show, I'm gonna let the beard grow because it turns Pete
4: Hoffman on. It he, does. He likes it it. it. it it really does. But here's the other thing, too, is I'm gonna take uh the the listener side of this one. He's not gonna sign this year. And it's be it's be the smartest thing for the Mets to do because I think if if Pete Alonso signs this offseason, it's gonna be because Cohen forces Stern's hand, and that's not what I want. I want David Stearns to make all the decisions. I want it to be like Stearns says, you know what? Pete Alonso is going to be here. He's going to be a lifelong Met, and that's because I want him to be here, not because I'm being told by my owner. So that's, that, that's the smart thing to do, and I, I understand that that might not be it's a it's a tough pill to swallow because you're right. His price is going to skyrocket next year because he's going to have a good season. He's going to do the same thing he does every year. 40 home runs, 100-plus RBIs. He's going to bat better than 225, and he's going to play a better defense at first base than we've ever seen.
3: Well, from your lips to God's ears, as they say. We do appreciate all the emails, the b at gmail.com. I do want to inform you that we have said we're going to do our big rewatch this year of Game 7 of the 2006 NLCS. If you haven't had a chance to watch it or you have during the holidays, I'll give you a date on when we will do the rewatch episode. We're scheduling it for the Sunday before the Super Bowl, Sunday, February 4th. So the Sunday, February 4th, Rico Bronia, that will be when we go down memory lane and we do a whole podcast after we've rewatched one of the most painful losses in the history of the New York Mets. But listen, why the hell not? Game seven of the 2006 National League Championship Series.
4: I'm looking forward to that. But I do have to add, there was a signing during this podcast. Um, I'm not sure if you noticed this at all, but a Korean right-hander Woo Suk-go was signed by the Padres. He's going to be their closer, most likely. Yes, I did see
3: that. I wrote his name down earlier in the (laughs) offseason, as I know. There's just so many jokes, right? Uh, As a potential bullpen target, Uh, the Mets were never linked to him. I didn't see the kind of money that he got, but yeah, another international player off the market: Korean right-hander Woo Suck Go signing with the San Diego Padres.
4: Do we talk about the other Japanese pitcher that that we're considering? That- no, but by the way, like his timetable's moving because I think the posting
3: date ends very soon for him. So, I, I, look, here's the: I kind of go back and forth on it. Because much like Yamamoto, I guess it's maybe different because we were told how dominant Yamamoto is and the age of him. But I just, I don't know. I, I mean, I hate to say it. I, like, my view on it is I just don't know. I, 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 I've read that one of the contracts he's projected to get is like a five-year, $85 million year. And we're talking about Shota Imanaga. God, I can never get his name right. His nickname is the Throwing Philosopher. He's the 29-year-old left-handed. I know, what a great nickname, right? The Throwing Philosopher. And I have such a tough time saying his last name. That's literally what I would call him. But his posting deadline is coming up real soon. So I haven't heard many teams attached to him. So maybe it'll be a surprise on who he ends up with. But look, my whole point earlier on, rewind if you missed it, I want to have another guy that's locked in for next year so the Mets aren't trying to build a rotation from scratch. But we'll talk more about this in the next Rico. If you haven't downloaded or haven't subscribed to Rico, Brogno, you should do it on the Odyssey app or wherever you download your podcast. We appreciate you listening. All emails, thericob at gmail.com. Check out Pete with Sal and BT 10 a.m. on the fan, me and Tiki 2 o'clock on the fan. Thanks for listening to Rico Bronya.
2: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronio Podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?